book of Hebrews chapter 1. Now last week we did a study, and I'll keep in mind that, well, it should get warmer, the heating, the heating should come on, or it's been on, so hopefully it'll get warmer, um, just as it's pretty cold still. The timer was switched off. Last week as we looked at, we wanted to speak again on Jesus is greater than all, according to the book of Hebrews. So everything that we looked last week is to do with Christ and a sacrifice, if you remember. And we will look a little into those things tonight. But I want to show you and bring you on another summary through the book of Hebrews or the letter of Hebrews and show you that Jesus is greater than all. Remember that this was written because there were those who had professed and came to faith in Christ and now they were backtracking. Whether it was because of uh, tribulation in their lives or trouble, mostly, mostly it was from their fellow uh, Jewish people um, who they had left in the temple. And so the letter was written to be read. Remember we say it's a book, but it's really a letter. And it's meant to be written from start to finish, all in one go, to catch the whole theme of it. And, but unfortunately we can't do that. We are, we are stuck for time, as it were. But when it was written from front to back, it showed you nothing but Christ glorified in it. His crucifixion is, is glory to um, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus was not a mistake. It was predestined to happen. And the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus was not a failure, as it's been said, uh, because before the foundation of the world, the Lord had this in his mind and ready. Before actually the foundation of the world, the Lamb was already slain. Not in time, but in eternity in the mind of God. So it was already planned from, for, from God for us. So what we want to look at first of all, and we're going to read some, then stop, and I'm going to show you these things. That Jesus is greater than all. First thing we'll look at in chapter 1 and verse 1. Jesus is greater we mentioned it a little last week, than the prophets. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Verse 1 says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now remember last week we looked at deity, deity, his humanity. We looked at his crucifixion and his ascension and glorification. All in these three verses. And so we have him as God, sending his son forth, greater than the prophets. And then it says he speaks to us in the last days, He's the brightness of the the Father's glory. He's the express image of his person. And he, because he's God, upholds all things by the word of his power. So you see the deity and the humanity of Christ. And then he says, he purged, he by himself had purged our sins. We see the cross. And then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We see him glorified at the right hand of God. So you can see the gospel in these three. So Jesus is greater than the prophets. Why? First of all, because he is a son and he is the heir of all things, the prophets are not. 
He is the one and the unique son born of the Virgin Mary. He is the heir of all things. And he is also the creator of the universe. So we see his deity. We see his humanity. And he is the heir of all things. So he is greater than the prophets. Secondly, he's greater than the prophets because he is the expression of the nature of deity. In other words, the deity that we can't see. God, the great eternal spirit, is invisible. He's the invisible God. And so because we cannot see him, God takes on a bodily form. He takes on flesh. And he's born of a virgin. Here is the son sent forth. Notice this. He's the expression of the nature. And he's the expression of the essence of deity. And he's the sustainer of the universe which he created. Now think about this. He is also the sacrifice who paid for our sin. This great God, who is the creator, now comes down and he becomes man and he pays for our sin. That's the great stoop, as some theologians like to put it. So Jesus is greater than the prophets. In fact, we have it written here. I was looking for a pulpit, but we have moved it. Here's it here. Acts 10.43, to him, to Jesus, give all the prophets witness. I'm told of an old church over in England, I'm not sure exactly where it is, but an old preacher was telling of it that it's an old church when you go in there's stained glass windows down both sides with the prophets and all the stained glass windows. These are paintings or effigies of what they would have been like. Glastonbury it was in. And as they're going down, at the bottom where that old altar is, there's a, an effigy even of Christ down there where the altar is. And every one of the prophets on the left-hand side and on the right are pointing up the church. They're all pointing up in the names of the prophets like Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and, and Isaiah and Hosea and so on, right up the sides of the church. And what they're pointing to you is when you get up there where Christ is, is I'm, I'm wary of paintings of these things because they become idols. I don't agree with them, but nevertheless, where this is, who is meant to be Christ, it says to him, they're all pointing, give all the prophets witness. And Jesus is greater than the prophets because he's not just a man, but he's deity. He's the son of God and he's the son of man. So he's greater than the prophets. Notice this, Jesus is greater than the angels. Notice what it says in verse four. Being made so much better than the angels. We could stop there and that's enough because the word of God says it. But listen, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now we hear of people saying, oh, angel ministry. Listen, I believe in angels. The Bible tells us of angels. I believe angels, are, there are ministering angels to us. The Bible tells us of it. But angels are not who we look for. We look for Christ. Because he's greater. And people worship angels. People would have St. Gabriel and St. Michael's and all this sort of stuff. Listen, we don't worship angels either. We worship Jesus only. Christ alone. And here he says that being made so much better. Here's the son of God now. And how's he made so much better? He's risen from the dead. He's glorified. And he's given all power and authority. He says, given unto me in heaven and earth. Being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Notice this. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son. Notice the capital S. 
when God speaks of you and I as the adopted sons into the family of God, adopted daughters, if you want, but the sons in a generic term, it's always a small s. But when we speak of the Son of God, it's a capital S referring to him being the unique Son of God, the one and only unique Son. So thou art my son. Notice what the Father thinks of him. You're mine. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? And here's the wonderful thing about this. When you're in Christ, then as he sees you, he sees you through Christ. He sees you in Christ. And so when he looks at you, he sees Christ. And so he says, you're mine. And that's the adoption of it. So thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. Now notice what he's saying here. He's saying, this is my unique one who's mine. He has never said it to the angels. They're created beings. Verse 6, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Now notice, now he's receiving worship. Now really in eternity, as to his deity, he received worship. Isaiah chapter 6, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphims, each had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And who were they singing as each side of them? There Now these the word seraph means to burn like a flickering flame. These angelic beings with wings flickering like a flickering flame, covering their face in the glory of Christ, covering their feet that he wouldn't look at where their feet would tread. Talking about the paths of people, that angels even walked who had fallen. Yet these are the angels of God worshiping at the throne. Holy, holy, holy. And who's in the center? The Lord. Who is the Lord? It's Jesus a theophany of Christ. And they're worshipping. And of course, the vast difference is when we go to the cross and we see him in flesh, we see then instead of angels worshipping him, we see thieves on either side of him casting insults in his teeth. Big, vast difference. You see the stoop of the Lord. You see how, how far he came down to reach you and I. And of course, Isaiah was killed, it said, by Manasseh, the king of Judah. And he was a wicked king and it was because Isaiah said he had seen Jehovah or Yahweh. So when he's seen him, he says, this is Yahweh. So that tells me, Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus says Jehovah. And Jehovah is Jesus. So notice this. He's better than the angels. And then he says in verse 7, and of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. So he, he's better than the angels in verses 4 and 5 because he's a better name or a title it is. I mean, Son isn't a name, it's a title. Really. His name is Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a son, but 
You don't run around and call me, hey son. Well, my dad did sometimes, you know. Hey son. But it's, my name is, well, it's Ken, but you know what my name is. It's Kenneth really, but I get Ken. That's my name, but a son is a title. And notice here, he's better than the angels because of his name, but because of his title. See, that title speaks of relationship. That's the difference here. And then, secondly, because he's worshipped by angels in verse 6, and then in verse 7, as we have read, he is the creator of the angels who worshipped him in glory. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits. So Jesus made the angels. And listen, he becomes flesh. And the Bible tells us, not only in the wilderness, when he was tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights, but an angel came and ministered unto him. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was under that severe pressure, we might get a chance to look at it a little later, an angel came and ministered unto him. Is this not strange that even though the one who was on this throne that they worshipped around, this um, manifestation of, of God and theophany, the Lord Yahweh Jehovah, is it not strange that now he, he's flesh and he's whether in the wilderness or he's in the garden, there he is and he's coming going through this and I wonder, and excuse the sanctified imagination if we can call it that, but these angels must have been looking and saying, watching the, the, the wonderful son of God go through all of these things. And they must have been looking and saying, Master, we want to help you. Master, let us take us off you. Jesus says, thinkest thou not that I could, and I pray to my father and he was saying, uh, 12 legions of angels. It's reckoned that's maybe 72,000 angels. The Roman Empire wouldn't have knew what had happened to it. The earth wouldn't have known at that time. These angels were waiting. says, we'll rescue him. But no, he says, no. There's a whole lot of people that are going to need saved. Father, you've given to me and I've come for them. And I'm going to save them. You see, we're told of the Lord Jesus. I shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Can you imagine these angels? So now he actually is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Think about that. The one on the throne, now he's made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, that he might taste death for every man. That God himself would know what that is like for you and I. So then we have the Lord, because he has created them, he's, Jesus is greater than the angels according to the book of Hebrews. And then we're told in verses 8 and 9, But unto the Son saith he, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, a scepter of righteousness and a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with oil above, oil of gladness above thy fellows. Notice this, first of all, as to his deity. Now you understand when we say deity because he's God. As to his deity. He has an eternal throne. As to his humanity, he's anointed as the king over the house of Jacob. That's what the angel says. And he shall rule over the house of Jacob from the throne of his father David. Now God has no father for he is the father. And since God is the father, David's not his father for he created David. (laughs) 
And so Jesus stands before the Pharisees and he says, how is it that they say, the Lord saith unto thy Lord, sit thou in my right hand that I might make thine enemies thy fruits do. He says, who is he talking about? Do you know what the Lord's saying? In eternity, the Father is now seeing me here in front of you. And he said, I'm going to make those enemies your fruits do. The Lord says to the Lord. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's fantastic. So now God will be on the throne when Christ returns, ruling and reigning in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. Then we have his unchangeableness. Look at what it says in the next couple of verses. Verse 10. And thy Lord in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. They shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Now, when we're talking about Jesus, can you understand the Hebrew writer? He's saying, you're going to a temple that's defunct. You're going to a temple that has no more pleasure. God has no more pleasure in. It's all in Christ when he died at the cross and rose again the third day. He's ascended into glory. Why would you even think or why would you ever, ever want anything else but this one who's come? I'm hoping that I'm showing you the glory of Jesus in this. You know, And they're going, well, we'll go to the temple. It's like religion today. It's like people going through their ceremonies and their sacrifices and, there's, you know, and their rituals and the Lord's going, that's not me. I'm not in that. They're going through all manner of things. And, and they've actually went now from being religious to entertainment. This is all entertaining. And God says, I don't want entertainment. God's not into entertainment. The cross is too precious for entertainment. See what it cost God. See what it cost the Father to give his son. See what it cost the son to give his life. It's, it's too precious for entertainment. Notice what it says here. He is unchanging. Everything else shall feel wax old as like a garment does. As a vesture, you'll fold them up. In other words, even the world, this world, we look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. When Christ returns, he will renovate the earth. Listen, the earth will not be destroyed. People say the earth will... will sometimes we have sang it to you, and I sort of say to the group sometimes, just forget, look, take that verse out. That's not even scripturally correct. Sometimes homology is not good theology. And, and, and we would say, the earth shall soon dissolve like snow. Where does it say that? The sun forbear to shine. That's not true. The earth shall remain forever, the scripture says. That's what the Bible says. The earth abideth forever. It will be changed. And so he's saying, like, all these things will change. But even in the changing of of, of the, the human, uh, pardon me, the Christian body at Christ's return, even at the changing of the earth and the renovation to make it like Edom, 
pre before the fall and the heavens and the earth to be changed whatever has happened to make this heaven black and all these planets that have been destroyed and, and no habitation on them you know you don't have to believe this but I personally have a I, I can't say I'm fundamental or dogmatic on it but I think that the planets were all glorious before the fall you know why? because Satan was cast out through them from heaven to earth and he destroyed everything in the way down and the last one's planet earth and the father says ah now you see this is where my redemption comes in I just don't need to believe that but I have an idea I don't fully know whether that's true or not but I have an, an inkling for it and God's going to renew the heavens and the earth in other words heaven of heavens where God is is going to come right down fully into the earth through outer space swallow it up and it's going to be heaven from here to there so when we say we're going to heaven, whether we believe we're standing on this planet or another planet or out in heaven, you can believe or whatever because we don't know. But what I do know is I'm going to be there because Jesus came down and died for me. This is bigger than our minds. This is bigger than we can understand. Now notice this. He's unchanging. When all of these things happen, no matter and whatever happens in your life, we're in through a change and we've talked about that and it's been a bit of our bombshell and I know that. God never changes. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He says, I am the Lord, I change not. With him there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so we're told here, he says, but thou art the same. So Jesus is greater because he's unchanging. Verse 13 but to which of the angels said he at any time, sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Now notice this. Did he say at the end of the angels? We'll not go to it tonight, but read Revelation 5 when you go home. I, I call it the chapter of the prevailing Christ. The chapter of the prevailing Christ. John's taken and shown a vision of heaven's glory. And there's a book there with the seals on it. And there's actually, we hear there's no, no tears in heaven. Well, they're weeping. Right. They're crying the whole way throughout heaven. No man, no strong angel that came, comes to John. Not even a strong angel can loose the seals and open the book thereof. And they're crying throughout heaven. Right. Who is worthy to loose the seals and open the book thereof? And there's none found. Not the apostle either. John, the saint of God, the apostle, he wasn't worthy. And then the angel says, Wait not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah prevailed. <laughs> Jesus, he's a prevailing Christ. So whenever we look at this, we see that he alone is the prevailing Christ, seated at the right hand of God. Remember, we talk when you sit, the idea here is it is finished. You sit when you finish the work. Remember we looked at, and God rest, took rest after the sixth on the seventh day. God rested from his works. And what does that mean? He created all. He had finished it. Nothing else to be done. And he rested. The idea isn't that God got tired because God doesn't get tired. The idea is that he rested back to look upon his good work. And he looks at it and glories in it. And he saw that it was very good. And so he's resting. He's not tired. He's God. 
But the idea is it was completely finished. Jesus cried it as finished, that meant our redemption, the blood was shed, the sacrifice had been made, and it means that he had paid everything. There's not one thing to add or do. So, in other words, it's like the father sits back, as it were, you understand, humanly speaking, he sits back, as it were, and he looks at what his son has accomplished. And as I read one time, the Lord Jesus being resurrected from the dead, the son's resurrection was the father's amen from the son's cry on the cross that is finished. He goes, it is finished. And he goes to the grave and the father goes, amen, son. And he raises him, raises him from the dead. He says, now he sit beside me. And this is what we're seeing the Hebrew, Hebrew writer saying to those who are going to a temple to slay more animals. So he's greater than the angels and because he's seated at the right hand of God. Now, let's go a little bit further. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Moses according to the book of Hebrews. Turn with me to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. There you are, we could stop there too, couldn't we? The Bible says it. For this man, Jesus it was, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. <laughs> so what is he saying here? He's saying, the Hebrew writer is saying, Jesus is greater than Moses because he is God. Simple. Also, he's saying Jesus is greater than Moses because of the house that has been built. Now, when we're looking at Hebrews, he's looking, remember, we're always looking back here from the temple right into the Old Testament. So what house did he build? He built Israel. And he's saying, because he's God and done this. Now, Moses, he says, he's greater than him because Moses was... Although Jesus was the creator of Israel, Moses was a member of Israel. Does that sound, you understand that? He's God. He's God. So he's bringing them right back into the Old Testament and saying, this apostle, this apostle and high priest of our profession, that what you have professed, whom you have professed to follow, Christ Jesus, he's not just this man. He's God. He is the one who created Israel. He says, and Moses, although he was so faithful, he was under him. He was a member of it, just to lead it. Whenever I think of the New Testament church, it's like that too. Because there are shepherds, and then there's the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church is his. But there are those who are to pastor and minister the word of God. So, so Jesus is greater than Moses because he's the creator of Israel, but Moses is only a member. Secondly, because he is the king over Israel. Here's three points for you to remember about the Lord Jesus. 
one. He's king over Israel. Two, he's a prophet to Israel. And third, he's a priest for Israel. Over, two, and four. And a prophet brings God command. God speaks to the prophet. God who in Sunday times and divers manners speak in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. And what that means is the word of the Lord. You know, you read the burden of the word of the Lord comes to the prophets. The word became known as the mediator, the word itself. So the word, as it were, takes form from God, is God himself. And the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same as in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14 of John 1. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word is coming from God. He comes and he speaks to the prophets. He impresses, carries them along in the spirit. In other words, he puts them on like an overcoat of the ideas. You know, you get your coat. Do you know why it's cold in here tonight? Because the heating wasn't on in time. And you have your coat on. Well, God came to the prophets and he put them on like an overcoat. And as he went, the prophet spoke, thus saith the Lord. And see, that word becomes known as the mediator. Now listen, think about this. Jesus is the word, the eternal word of God. He comes, he's made flesh, John 1 and 14. And the word is made flesh. And now we see the word in his fullness. Now, if that's the mediator, or since he is the mediator, Paul writes, for there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Why? Because he's the word made flesh. (laughs) You catching that okay? See, See the greatness of Christ, the glory of Christ. And so whenever we're looking at this, what we're saying here is that he's king over Israel. We have to go back then to Saul being chosen, as it were, by the people because he was head and shoulders bigger. He wasn't God's choice. God let people have their choice. He was the democratic vote. Do you know, really, when we talk about democracy, democracy is a joke at the minute when you look at America because the Democrats don't want to be democratic. You know? But anyway, don't get me started on that anyway. But, and and whenever, we, whenever you think of the... A democracy, and we think, well, that's the best thing for the Western world. It's the best of a bad bunch, really. You know, it's just um, um, democracy isn't the greatest in its form, anyhow. But we also think of a monarchy where the queen sits on the throne. But really, God didn't have a democracy, for the democracy chose a monarchy. They didn't have any of it. Do you know what they had? A theocracy. You know what theocracy is? God being the king. God being the king and he moved and he had judges to judge. Not one monarch but judges to judge. Prophets to prophesy. And instead we want to be like everybody else. God says I didn't make you to be like everybody else. Of all the families of the earth he says to Israel if you only have I known. And so they say well we want to be like every other nation. He says well if that's what you want you're rejecting me. 
So they choose Saul. Democratic vote. Saul is a big tube. That's what he is. He won't go to battle. He's hiding from Goliath. He sits and sulks when a wee boy David is there. He's afraid of losing his position. Throws a javelin at David when David's playing on his harp trying to get rid of a spirit from him. Of course then David becomes the king and he was the man after God's own heart. He was God's choice. The anointed. Then comes the throne of David. And God says, now I'll bring a man to sit on the throne. And listen, he says, David will not want a man to sit on the throne forever. Now, we see a man who'll sit on the throne. And when Christ returns, he's going to take up the throne of David. The man sitting on the throne. So you can see how he's greater than Moses. He's the king. But when he returns, he's not only king, he's king of kings. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And what does that mean? That means that every knee will bow to him and every tongue confess, every crown. Queen Elizabeth, if she's alive, she's actually, uh, it's reported that she said that she wants to stay alive until Jesus returns and hand her crown to him. Vacate the throne for Christ. And you know, I think that's beautiful. I hope that the Lord grants it because, dear, help us. The next one coming up doesn't look too good. But listen, when he comes, every, I know there's all the, the American, um, the, the, the votings went and for presidential elections. See, when Jesus comes, really, it doesn't matter whether it's Trump or Trump. It doesn't really matter who they are. It's not going to be Queen Elizabeth and it's not going to be uh, the European Union. It's not going to be those in Brussels and it's not going to be United Nations and it's going to be Vladimir Putin. They're every single one of them. It's not going to be Benjamin Netanyahu either. I'm glad I got that out. (laughs) It's going to be Jesus. He's going to rule over all the earth. All these crowns are going to fall at his feet. Everyone will come and pay homage to him. So he's greater because he's, he is Jehovah the King. Moses was a servant. Chapter 3, verse 5. Look what it says. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house. You see, it's not a great accolade to have, especially in Scripture. I wonder what heaven says about you and me being faithful. Well done, good faithful servant. We're always saying, I wonder what does it really say that about us? Moses was very faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, a son, over his own house, whose house we are. Wow. (laughs) We're his house. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the firm hope unto the end. So here we have, he is the king over Israel. Moving quickly, Jesus is greater than Joshua. Remember Joshua, Moses' servant? He's a great warrior, wasn't he? Well then, let's look at this. 
chapter 4. Verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should come, seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now take note of that. The works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise. And God did rest on the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it were first preached enter not, and because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Now we've spoken about that rest in Genesis chapter 1, when God rested on the seventh day. But notice what it says here. There are those who said they believed, they heard with the ear, but not received with the heart the works were finished in verse 3 although the works were finished from the foundation of the world we've already spoken about that but the works finished from the foundation of the world here are that whenever we need to he's bringing them to a place where you need to see and we spoke more on it last week and we can't go through it again you need to see what Jesus has accomplished what Jesus has done when he uh, paid with his own blood. That's why, the, that's why the cross work of Christ and the blood of Christ is the, only, is the only message to be preached for salvation. Even to build people, God's people up, to strengthen them. To, you know, we must remember and always bring the glory of Christ and his cross out. And he's saying, look, I keep bringing you back to the cross. Brothers and sisters, that's what we should be doing. Get back to the cross. Unfortunately, the church has left the preaching of the cross. Not everywhere. But I mean, it's going further and further away. He says, no, no, no. It's at the cross. It's at the cross these works were finished even before Jesus actually shed his blood and the mind of the father was already done you know God speaks those things that are not as though they were and what happens it comes to pass and what you know, I have to do is get a grip and a grasp of if we can of, of eternity God fills eternity so you and I are in this timepiece of the universe where we are spinning around the sun and we have year by year, minute by minute, and so on. But God is maybe is within that. But God is also outside of that. He's not 
hemmed in nor held back by time. So let me put it like this. Our God being eternal, we pray, Lord, go before us. I pray that. So I'm not saying anything about that or against that. Go before us, Lord. You know what the Lord says? I've been here from eternity, son. I'm waiting on you getting here. I've been here from eternity, daughter. You just haven't caught up yet. That's why Jesus says, take no thought for the morrow. He's already in it. He's already there. And the strange thing is, the one who's come into time and flesh is the eternal one who was out of time. Who transcends time. And yet he says, don't you worry about tomorrow. I've got it all in control. It's already done. So when we look at this, he is greater than Joshua because Christ leads into an eternal rest. Look with me down to verse 8. For if Jesus had given them rest, he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. Now Jesus there is not the Lord Jesus. It's Joshua. That's Joshua of the Old Testament. I don't know why the translators, because it's the same name going from the Old to the New. It's not that it's, it's wrong. But I don't know why they didn't use his Hebrew name here. Rather to define it from Jesus himself. This is Joshua, Moses' servant they're speaking of. So I should say, for if Joshua had given them rest, then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day? Joshua was bringing them, remember, to the promised land? And they sent this. Remember, it was in Moses' day sent spies. And remember, he brought them to the promised land and they're ready to cross over. And look at what it says in verse 6. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of unbelief. You know what he's speaking of here? He's saying, look, see as Israel didn't first enter in the days of Moses with a bad report. And they ended up walking 38 years around the wilderness and dying in the wilderness when there was a promise of God to walk across that river and to possess the land and everywhere their feet trod he would give them it. He says all they need to do was believe God for what he says and take him at his word. And they wouldn't for their fear and their flesh took hold of them. He says, well see now, Joshua brings them up and said, there's another day. Do you want to lay season hold on it? So there's always a fighting for a rest when they're in Canaan land. We look, at, we look at how there were the wars throughout the land in the Old Testament, even after they had went in to the land. And so Jesus gives us a rest. This is likening the rest that is finished and God rested on the seventh day after his labor. Christ is seated. He sat down. It's finished at the right hand of God. And now hears it again. Here is God's rest. He says, now if you're in Christ, he gives you an eternal spiritual rest. Jesus is greater than Joshua. He's greater than Joshua. Christ leads into spiritual rest, which is better than the temporal one. Joshua would bring them to and led them in. And lastly, we'll look at this one. For time's gone. Jesus is greater than Aaron. This one too. 
He's greater than you are too. Yeah. Chapter 4. Let's arrive on down to verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now notice Jesus is greater than Joshua. Notice he's speaking here of a great high priest passed through the heavens. The idea is to go right from here through space to outer space to the heavens. He was ascended up. He was taken up, Acts chapter 1, and he was saved up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Remember? And he's taken away, resurrected, and now glorified. And up there, he is our great high priest. The high priest in Israel, we talked about this last week too, when he was in the Holy of Holies, when he went into that place, he sprinkled the blood, remember, seven times off his fingers. And the Lord saw the blood, and so it spared the sinner. We see that the Aaron being the high priest, and then the high priestly line comes from Aaron, who was a Levite, on down that, on down that line. He was Moses' brother at the start. And then, of course, the high priestly line came down. So the Aaronic, that's why he called the Aaronic priesthood. Even though the high priest then isn't called Aaron, maybe hundreds of years later, it's because he was the original high priest in Israel. So it's the Aaronic priesthood. Then you have the Melchizedek priesthood. I haven't time to go through it all, but listen, write down Genesis 14. Read Genesis 14 later and verse 18. And here we might see Abraham meets, meets Melchizedek. And this is a different priesthood. It talks about this man having no descent, father and mother. They don't know who is this man. I've been always taught and I've always been off. Although recently I've been reading a few other things, but I'll just stay with what I've been taught because I'm not convinced yet that this was another theophany of Christ. Abraham paying tithes to Jesus in the Old Testament. So that's in Genesis 14. You'll also read of this in Psalm 110 and verse 4, the Melchizedek. So the high priesthood, it changes after the Aaronic priesthood. The Aaronic priesthood dies when the temple is destroyed. And so then we find that he's saying here, look, see the Aaronic priesthood? It's defunct. But look, we've got a, we have a high priest. In fact, he mentions the word great high priest here. And the word great high priest, the word great is the word magus. That's where you and I would get maga, big, colossal, giant, mighty, powerful, you know. And he's saying, our high priest isn't like Aaron. Our high priest is a maga high priest. He's a great high priest. He's almighty high priest. So he's greater than Aaron as a high priest because one, he's ascended through the heavens into the actual holy of holies the Holy of Holies when it was the tabernacle in the wilderness and the Aaronic priesthood then later when it becomes the temple in Jerusalem, that priesthood was an earthly priesthood. With a, it was actually called a, a divine sanctuary or a worldly sanction, a divine a temple or, or a tabernacle. In other words, it was only divine when God came down. But God is 
his, I'm talking about his immediate presence. He's, he's everywhere in the sense that he is omnipresent, but his immediate glory is in heaven. And what Jesus has done is he's walked through, as it were, the Holy of Holies. He's went right through the heavens into the place where you and I can't go like the high priest couldn't go. And he's taken this Melchizedek priesthood. In other words, this one without father and mother, he's God. Without descent because he's eternal. Yet he's human and he's went right through into the heavens into the direct holiness of God. And there for me the Savior stands. He shows his wounds and spreads his hands. He stands not only as he our great high priest, but he's our great sacrifice all at the same time. So he's greater than Aaron because he's in the actual holy of holies in heaven. Now notice this, chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So notice he's taken from among men. Jesus, the Son of God, was the elect among men. He's taken from among men, but notice this. He's greater than Aaron, just as the high priest was elect from among men in the Aaronic priesthood. Notice this. That he may both offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. The high priest went into the Holy of Holies and the Aaronic priesthood into the temple or, or, or the tabernacle beforehand and he had to offer sacrifice for his own sin first. In other words, he's admitting I'm a sinner. But this man, he had no sin. He did no sin. He knew not sin. He was yet without sin, the scriptures tell us. In other words, he was impeccable. He was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. The difference in impeccability and sinless or spotless is this. That's what he was. He was sinless, spotless. He did no sin. The impeccability of Christ is that he could not sin. You know why he couldn't sin? Because he was God. <laughs> because that's who he is. He can't, he hates sin. Yet in his humanity, as I said before, as God, he knows all about us in his humanity. As a man, he understands us. I want you to get this as we close. In his deity, as God, he knows all about us. In his humanity, as man, he understands us. So as God, he hates sin. Can you imagine? He hates it. But when he clothes himself in flesh, look what it says in verse 2. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself is, is also is compassed with infirmity. Now you notice, he's compassed with it. He didn't partake in it. And he's compassed with it. He feels the pangs of the flesh, tiredness, thirst, hunger, weariness, pain. So now he understands us in the sense of humanity, and he has compassion in that. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that beautiful? I'm trying to show you. I, I, I think I always try and show you. I hope I do. I try just to always show you Jesus. Christ and his loveliness. There's nobody else to show anyhow. Nobody else worthy. Nobody else worth showing. So he is greater than Aaron according to the book of Hebrews. For he's sinless in verse 2. 
and his priesthood is not the span for the life of a man, nor is it the span for the life of the Aaronic priesthood from start of Aaron to ending at the destruction of the temple, even for that period of time as long as it was. No, rather, he has an eternal priesthood. Let's read this as we finished. Verse 3, And by reason hereof he ought us for, for the people so also for himself to offer for sins. See the priest offering for himself and then the people for sins? Now Jesus didn't need to do that. And no man taketh his honor unto himself, but he that is called of God as was Aaron. Okay? So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever. Notice this. There's no period of time here. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So now the Melchizedek priesthood is in Christ. It's an eternal. In other words, he will not fail you. He doesn't die like other men. He's alive. He's risen from the dead after the power of an endless life. And he's praying for us and he doesn't fail. The scripture says he shall not fail nor be discouraged. Listen, sometimes as people, we fail, don't we? And we get discouraged. But he never fails and he never gets discouraged. And we finish with this. Who in the days of his flesh, this one who's in glory, this one who is God, the creator, the great king, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and that he was heard, feared, Though he were a son, yet learned the obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation. Unto all that obey him, called of God, and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Isn't that beautiful? So we finish with this little thought. Verse 7, In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers, supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, and that he was heard now. Here, I've taught this a while ago, so you maybe not even have picked this up, or if you have, you maybe forgot it. Maybe you haven't. But anyway, if you go to the Gospels, let's say, for example, Luke 22. I'm just throwing it out there, just for off the top of my head. Jesus is in Gethsemane. We spoke about it. And when he's in Gethsemane, sweating great drops of blood, and all that great stress and pressure comes on him. And he says, Father, let this cup pass from me, doesn't he? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Oh, you see, and the atheists and the critics says are those who just are those who are the, the modernists, you know, and they want to explain things away of Jesus and his glory and his deity. And they come and say, Ah, see, Jesus prayed that he wouldn't die. Now, they link it with Hebrews 5 and verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. See, they say, see, as a man, he's there. See, he was only a man, and he, he was crying. He was like a big baby, and all they say, you know, and he's crying, oh, God, Daddy, don't let me die. And all. Listen, that's nonsense. And I'm going to prove it by one little word for you. The word from. From death. There's two words, really, that can be used for from, and I'll tell you which one it is here. There's one, and it's 
apa or apo. And it means from the edge of. From the edge. And it can be used for from in our English language. I'll give you an example. I've given it before. I would invite you to church. Will you come out to the Bible study? And you said, yes, I'm coming. What time? I'll see you at 7.30. And so what happens is I'll say, you come to church, you come in the car park, you park your car, or you walk up the village, you get to the doors, you come in and you get right to the front doors there, the doors are open, and you stand for a moment looking up the hall, and you turn away, and you walk across the car park, and you get into the car and drive away. So I say to you, I thought you were going to come to church. I did. I did. You see, they're not lying, they did. I thought you were going to come at half seven and say they came at half seven. Well, I did. I'm not lying, I told you to come. I came. But it means from the edge of, they came to the edge, but they did come. So it's from, from here, from the building. Then the other word for from is ek, ek. And it means from within to without, from within to without. So I'll give you an, a clue. You and I have come to the, the, the Bible study tonight. We have sat here. We have stood. We have sang. We have praised. We have prayed. We have listened to Bible study. And then when you go home, you'll go right out those doors, out the next doors, into the car, park it into your cars, or walk home, and you, off you go. From right in the heart of the building. You're right in the meeting. Going right, that's the little word, ak. Now, see here, Hebrews 5 and 7 who in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers with supplications and strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, and that and was heard and that he feared. Listen, he's crying unto God and the, God and the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thou me done. He's a man, he's in pre- under pressure and he's in pain with it. But he never once says, Father, I don't want to die. Don't let me die. He came to die. That's what he came for. So the word here for from is the word ak. Do you know what he was praying? The strong, the the right when they referred us to Gethsemane. Do you know what he was praying? Saying ak, that he would say, Father, I am going to die and go right into the heart of death. But I know you will raise raise me up again. You will bring me right out of death from the realms and the regions of death. You'll bring me right out from the tomb and right out from the grave. He says, Father, I know you're going to do it. That's from death. You're going to bring me. You're going to resurrect me. So don't let anybody wipe your eye with that sort of stuff. It depends on the words. So from is not say he wanted to be saved from death. He didn't come to die. He didn't love you that much. Oh, yes, he did. He says, I ain't going to go right into the heart of death for Ken Davidson because he's a rotten sinner. And as God, he had a right to be angry. But in his love and mercy and the compassion of his humanity too, he says, I will die. I will take it for him. I'll take it for them. I'll die and shed my blood for them. I'll go right into the ground for them. I'll let them roll a stone over. I'll let them put a seal on it and a guard on it. He says, Father, I'll go right into the regions of those who have passed on into the realms of death, into the heart of it. He says, but you're going to resurrect me on the third day and I'm going to ascend into heaven and I'm going to pray Ken through. And he's coming again. So he's greater than Aaron. Aaron can't do that for them. 
but Christ alone. Christ alone. Oh, you start getting into the scriptures like that. You just want to, you know, it's like a, it's a difference from eating. You know, illustrations are okay sometimes, you know. You can use them here and there. But it's a difference from, it's a difference from eating candy, frosting, it tastes sweet and it's nice. But you ever get, if you eat something sweet before your dinner, it puts you off, doesn't it? And it doesn't really do you any good. I'd rather sit down and do a big steak. A, big, a few big spuds. Get them into me. I mean, that's what it's like to me. It's like you're eating and you're feasting. And then we, we thought here and there's all right. But you need to get in and say, oh, see the glories that's in your word. It's, oh, it's, it's inexhaustible. We'll start bringing something else. We can go home. Bless you all.